0: I can't overstate the weight of these words of our Lord Jesus from John 14 and John 13 and John 17. Again, the words of our Savior and Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, here the Holy Spirit He will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. John thirteen and verses thirty four and thirty five. Here Jesus is speaking specifically to the twelve who are gathered. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In John seventeen and verses twenty and twenty one now Jesus is going way beyond just one group of his followers. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever, to which you say with great joy, Hallelujah, and thanks be to God. Our Lord, your work is finished with respect to accomplishing our redemption, and we praise you for that. But your work is ongoing as you apply it. And our Lord, especially today, as we deal with what really is the mark of the Christian, Lord, our great advocate, our great friend, great physician, great change agent, Please, O God, transform us by your own word written and by the Holy Spirit. Do that work in us. Deliver us, we pray, from being Pharisees and make us to be a people who from the heart love you and love others. We pray in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. It was my second year in a very, very fine Christian college. It was a school where I... I needed the discipline and I needed to be in a place with that rock-ribbed commitment to the final authority of the Word of God and where there were standards of what it meant to be a Christian. And for that, I, I thank the Lord. But it was a perplexing time for me in my second year for this reason. It was a school that practiced various degrees of separation from unbelief. And so you were not to be in a corporate relationship with, uh, with unbelievers in a denomination or a church. Um, but then it went a little bit further. Uh, you were not to be associated with those who were associated with unbelief, and a little bit further, you were not to be associated with those who were associated with those who were associated <laughs> with people who were part of unbelief. And it was literally, it was called primary, secondary, and third-degree separation. And uh, coming from a totally non-Christian background, that whole thing was was very, very strange and very perplexing because it created uh, an attitude of, of antagonism uh, toward other genuine believers in Christ. And it was in that year that, however it came into my hands, the little book, The Mark of the Christian, by Francis Schaeffer, who was the evangelist of my generation, for whom I will be eternally thankful, the Mark of the Christian was put into my hands, about 48 pages, and I commend, commend the volume to you, actually. Two things when I got done reading it. Number one, I wept profusely because of the way Dr. Schaefer dealt with what we're going to deal with today. The second thing is I hope that it began to transform my whole attitude toward dealing with other believers, genuine believers of various denominations. And what you're going to get today is um, it's it's Francis Schaeffer, but but it is it is channeled through Pastor Shishko. Uh, I'm not here to preach Francis Schaeffer, but to preach the Word of God. But that book uh, made and still makes such an, an indelible impression upon me. You probably will get a lot a lot of Francis Schaeffer in it. Certainly uh, toward the end, the illust- one of the illustrations he uses is magnificent. But anyway, we're dealing today with with the mark of the Christian, and let me begin with. The, the twin peaks of true Christianity, the twin peaks, and this is why we're calling it the mark of the Christian rather than marks. And they're both together. They're both together, okay? The twin peaks of true Christianity, and they're really two loves, okay? They're, they're two loves. Uh, number one is holiness. The first peak of the Christian faith is holiness. Be ye holy as I am holy. And that's given in both the Old and the New Testaments. And the writer of Hebrews says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one shall see the Lord. And holiness, brothers and sisters, you should not think of in the first case as being what you're against or what you're separate from. Uh, the, the, The word holiness really speaks more about what you're separated unto it is actually the word for separation but it's what you are separated unto you are separated unto god and and that's really at its heart what holiness is in every area of life whether you eat or drink or whatever you do you do it all to the glory of god it's a profound god consciousness it's a profound god devotion it's a profound god loyalty okay now let me give you an analogy of of what holiness is we think of we think of america as a system Uh, america has a certain history it has a certain government it has a certain way of doing things and if you are a loyal american you will understand your history somewhat anyway you will understand the principles by which its government works And and you'll be loyal to those things. You'll be loyal to the way that government works itself out in in the in the public sphere. And if you don't do those things, if in fact you are don't like the history or you're against our history for whatever reason, you're against its principles, you're against the way things work out in our culture, then you're a traitor. Okay? Holiness Is having that kind of loyalty to God and not being a traitor to Him, and you see that negative example in John 17 and and verse in John, uh, rather John 14, uh, verse 24. Whoever does not love Me does not keep My words. Now Jesus says, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. That's certainly holiness. You're wed to them and will do them. Uh, but to be disloyal to him is to, is to, if you don't love him, you will not keep his commandments. So that's, that's essentially what holiness is. It's a separation unto God and on the highway of life. Uh, the, it's, not the, it's not the road signs that drive the car, but the road signs, which are the commandments of our Lord, the commandments of God, that keep you from going off to the right or to the left. Okay, so that's, that's holiness. But here is the second peak of true Christianity, and it's another love, not just love for God, which is what holiness is, but it's love for other people, love for other people. And the Lord Jesus Christ speaks in here about love in various ways, uh, but, but love for other people, beginning with unbelievers. Uh, we are to good, do good to all people, especially to those Of the household of faith, or 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. We'll get to that in a moment. In love for one another and for all. All people made in God's image, you shall love. You give yourself for their good. It does not mean that you necessarily condone their lifestyles. It doesn't mean that you condone the views they hold, but you love them as those made in God's image. And in fact, if there's a defiling of God's image, uh, whether in the mind or in the body, you, you're brokenhearted over it because it's, a, it's an abuse of what God has made. Okay? So, so love, holiness, and love for others, but then especially to other true Christians And you see this in John 13. I know you've got to jump back and forth in here in verse 34. Now, when Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, it's not the commandment to love others. That's given in the Old Testament as well. The new commandment, which is part of the new covenant, which is with the coming of Christ, is, note what the text says. A new commandment I give you, and what is it? That you love one another, but he doesn't stop there, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's the newness of it. It is with a Christ-like, Christ-empowered giving of yourself in the service of others mm-hmm. that you're to love others. And, and, and it, remember, love in the abstract apart from Christ that's not what jesus is speaking of it's it's love the same love with which he gave himself for the good of others now he says do good to all people but especially to those of the household of faith and that that brings up an interesting question (laughs) who's of the household of faith (laughs) because there's a lot of people who profess to be christians you know if people are baptized they're marked out as christians But you and I know very, very well there's loads of people who are baptized, regardless of how they were baptized or when they were baptized, but they don't live like Christians. So what is it to be those who love brothers and sisters as Jesus did? Well, it's in that phrase, do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, a household has a certain defined group that's part of it. We call that church membership. People don't need to be part of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church or or any other particular denomination. But, But of what household of the faith are you a part? And I know that's unpopular in our day when church membership isn't even emphasized in many cases. But, brothers and sisters, that's the norm in our day when people are not just baptized, but some are Lutherans, some are Methodists, some are Presbyterians, some are Baptists. And of what household are you a part? Okay? So, so there's a, a definition by church membership, but it doesn't stop there. Do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of faith. What, what do you believe Now, when people come into church membership here by transfer, by profession of faith, or whatever, we don't know what's in the hearts of people. That's folly to think that you admit people into church membership because you know they are truly regenerate. God doesn't give you that list from heaven. Do they have a life that lives up to what it is to be a Christian? To some measure. We all fail in various ways, but but is it a credible, a believable profession of faith in the way they live? That's part of it. But the household of faith is also, what do you believe? The household of faith, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about God the Son? What do you believe about how we're saved? What do you believe about how we're supposed to live? That's all part of the faith. And if there's wrong concepts of the faith god is not father son and holy spirit jesus is not god i can basically live the way i want that that's folks that's not the household of faith whatever you call it it's not what the christian faith is all about so there's there's a there's an understanding of the basics of what it is to be a christian the doctrine and then also a life that credibly credibly represents that faith that you believe. Okay, so, so holiness and love, love to all, but especially to those of the household of faith. And of course, Jesus deals with this in this text as well. But now this brings us to what, and this is Dr. Schaefer's phrase, I don't know any better way to put it, the ultimate apologetic. Apologetic has nothing to do with apologizing. Apologetic is proof of the faith or defense of the Christian faith. What do you put before people that they say, so that they say, that faith is real? That faith is true? The ultimate apologetic. And Jesus gives it in this text, in John 13 and verse 35. Essentially, he's saying, this is what really speaks to the world. After talking about loving one another, as I've loved you, you all sort of love one another, by this, all people will know that you are Christ followers, that you are my disciples, that you are true Christians, if you have love one for another. Now, that's a smaller community. As if we were talking about the haven, and we wanted to localize this. We could say something like this. By this, all those who, in one way or another, experience the haven at Comac will know that you are my disciples when you have Christ-like, self-giving love to one another. That's what what Jesus is saying. Or to put it very bluntly, if you don't love one another, the world has just grounds to say you are not Christ-followers. And if that sounds too strong, listen again to what Jesus says. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's speaking locally. Well, if it's a small group, (laughs) it's rather easy to do. But Jesus doesn't let his disciples remain with a small group, or we would say with a denomination. Jesus has a world-encompassing statement about this, which is given in John 17 and verses 20 and 21. I don't ask, he's praying to his Father, I don't ask for these only, for those 12 that were with him, although by then it was probably just 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's all the people who will hear the gospel and believe in Jesus in all of the world throughout all of the ages until Christ comes back, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There are ecumenical groups. And they emphasize Christians being one. But they are, at least in the big organizations, they don't hold the true faith. They don't believe the Bible is the word of God. They don't believe Jesus is the only Savior. They don't believe salvation is by grace through faith alone. And yet they still want to be one in their common unbelief. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about Christ followers those who believe his word, and follow him. And he says that the world has grounds to deny the gospel. If, as far as we are working with other believers in the Lord Jesus, if we don't show love to one another, here again, the language that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, the same unity that the Father and the Son have, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If there's not effort at observable love, together with genuine holiness, the world has just grounds to deny the gospel. That is powerful, powerful stuff. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that those who believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Believe that. But if there's not efforts on various levels and various ways to show the unity of true believers in Christ... The world has just grounds to deny John 3.16. I'm not particularly familiar with this group, but there is a group called IFCA. In college, I had one very close friend who was part of IFCA, and at least from his experience, It meant I fight Christians anywhere. I hope that's not true of all IFCA Christians, but that was his experience. He ended up abandoning the faith. If that's what the Christian faith is about, I fight Christians anywhere, why would you want to be a Christian? So that's why, folks, it's such a serious issue. Now, it's a very, very delicate balance. We must be holy as the Lord is holy, and that holiness works itself out not only in what we do, but in what we believe, right? Notice what Jesus says in this text. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's, That's the holiness of life. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So you've got both here. Holiness. you love Jesus, you'll do what he says. You'll, you'll want to do what Jesus says. Will you do it perfectly? No. Christ is sufficient. But you desire that. Your heartbeat is to do the will of God in Jesus Christ. But you're also committed to truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true. You will be committed to the Word of God. The heart, the heart of holiness is what does the Word of God say? Okay? And, and it's a very, very delicate and even challenging balance. I must never abandon that holiness that is supremely committed to the truth of the Word of God, as it is in itself, in doctrine, as it bears on my life. Twin peak, holiness. But self-giving love to all people, but especially to those of the household of faith, to genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of denomination. Very, very delicate balance, okay? So, the ultimate apologetic though is by this: will all people know that my you are my disciples if you have love for one another now, this is where you may want to turn to page eleven and take some notes. I urge you to do that actually. How do you bring those two things together and brothers and sisters this this is this is our corporate life, and it's your individual life bringing holiness, and love together all of the time. How do you bring those things together? Well, number one, by abiding in Christ. John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll show yourself to be my disciples by abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've said so often, what is the Christian faith? You're married to Jesus. You take Jesus to be, as Alexa and Eric did yesterday, I take you to be my lawfully wedded husband, lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, as long as we both shall live. Except they had their own development of those vows. Well, it was basically the same thing. They just developed it themselves. that's what it is to be a Christian, to take Jesus to have him, to hold him, to love him, to cherish him, as long as you both shall live. And because he never dies, you will not die either. Not a great way to present the gospel to people, right? So so marriage to Christ. What's the Christian life? It's marriage to Christ. <laughs> it's It's being with him constantly in prayer and in understanding. John 14 and verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answers, this Judas, not Judas Iscariot, who probably wasn't concerned enough to even ask that question. Jesus answers, he says, well, Lord, how is it? You're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. He goes back to this. See, that's, that's holiness of life and also holiness and truth. He'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. Wow. This is the infinite God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father and the Son, by the Holy Spirit, come into your marriage to Christ, and it's a home that you have with Jesus as the husband. You've got to think of your Christian faith like that. So what is it to abide in Christ? Well, what is it when you think of a faithful husband? You, you honor him. You respect him. You, you, you want to obey him. You reflect on his care for you. You, you, you love the fact that, that he listens to you. You love the fact that he is your best friend. That's what, and and you're abiding in your love with one another. Why is that the first thing in these twin mountain peaks of holiness and love? Well, and I feel bad for Margaret with this when I come up, but isn't it interesting how spouses tend to look like one another? Mm -hmm. Poor Margaret having to look like her (laughs) husband. But you do see it. When two people are in love, they've loved one another for many years. They have been abiding with one another. Uh, they they not only kind of think alike, right? You all know the experience. Those of you who are married, you, you uh, at some point you say, it's just what I was thinking about. I would have said the same thing. And you're not just saying that to curry favor with your spouse. It's true. You're thinking alike. You're, you're meshed. And you also begin, really, in a real sense, to kind of look alike. That's what it is to grow as a Christian. We are remade into the image of, of him who created us, the Lord Jesus Christ. So so begin abiding in Christ. Now, if Jesus is incarnate holiness, he was absolutely perfect, and he's incarnate love for all people, but especially for those of the household of faith, and you're abiding with him, what's going to happen to you? You're going to have a heart that wants to be holy in all things and you're going to have a heart that is perplexed and broken when Christians illicitly separate from one another right so so it begins with abiding in Christ and brothers and sisters no one can do this for you Here's the individuality of the Christian faith, while the Lord works in families and in churches. It wasn't two families that got married yesterday. It was two individuals. And so nobody can do this for you. It is you communing with the Lord Jesus, you who are abiding in him and growing, and that, that that does change you, as spouses are changed by marriage. I'm not a particular fan of the hymn in the garden for various reasons, but it's got a lot of truth in it. He walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. It's part of the Lord's Supper, is he's telling you he's his own. You abide in Christ, folks. And without being too simplistic, one of the reasons why Christians will carnally fight one another and divide from one another is because they're simply not abiding in Christ. They may be abiding in their denominational history. They may be abiding in their denominational doctrines. They may be abiding in their own personal mores of the Christian life and doing it very well. But if you're not abiding in Christ, those twin peaks of holiness and love won't be there. Okay, so that's just, that's number one. Number two, How do you bring the holiness and love together? Wrestle to give honest answers to honest questions. Now, you say, well, that's dealing with the holiness aspect. And it is, where you wrestle with the Word of God to give honest answers to honest questions. And that is holiness in doctrine. That is holiness and being sanctified by the truth. What does the Word of God say honestly about this question? But there's love in it. One of the things I hope we are learning in our evangelical culture in America is there's no one denomination and no one individual that has a handle on the truth, and that's by design. I'm not a Baptist, you know that. I esteem Al Mohler of the Southern Baptist Convention. He is to that body what Dr. J. Gresham Machen was to the OPC, what Martin Luther was to the Protestant Reformation. Not perfect, but he stands for what's true and what's right, and he's paid the price for it. Thank God for our unity in the truth with that man. On everything? No, not on everything. But on the basics that make a Christian a Christian, the household of faith, yeah, we are. You must have one another because nobody has a handle on honest answers to very, very difficult questions. And that's why we have the Sunday seminary, folks. Maybe it's not the best term to have, but we'll use it anyway unless you come up with something better my work is not to give you folks pablum. That's not going to help this world. Honest answers to very challenging and difficult questions, like what we're going to deal with in the Sunday school class today. How did we get to where we are in our culture? That's not an easy one to answer. But it's important we answer those questions in light of what the Word of God says. And so there you see holiness and love are in view, right? Number three, <clears throat> how do you bring these to you? you? Abide in Christ. You say, okay, I'm going to give honest answers to honest questions, okay? And the reason I say that is this not all questions are honest. Yeah, God can do anything. Can God make a stone so big he can't lift it? That's not an honest question. That's a taunt. And it's a stupid question anyway. I don't say that to people. You're still loving. But I mean an honest question. Why a person says, Do I struggle with my sexual identity? That's not an easy question to answer in many cases. Okay? So that's what I mean honest questions. All right, so abiding in Christ, honest answers to honest questions. And number three, Love that gives itself for the good of others. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also love one another. How, when I'm dealing with a non-Christian or a Christian, how do I give myself for that man, that woman, that boy, that girl's good. If you don't answer it, if you don't ask that question that way, you're not asking it as a Christian's supposed to. Because that's Jesus' life. He gave himself as a ransom for many. Love that gives itself for the good of others. Well, you say, okay, and that, of course that can be a cliche. Now let's really drill it in. You know where this begins? It begins by one of the least common disciplines in the Christian walk, asking forgiveness. Now, as much as I love Dr. Schaefer, he says, well, it begins by saying you're sorry. When you say you're sorry for something, all you're saying is that God's given you a conscience. What are you sorry about? I cursed at you. I yelled at you. I was hateful to you. Yeah, of course you're going to feel you're sorry. The works of the law are written in the heart. You shall not murder. You were hateful to that person? Yes. You need to go to that person, and you need to ask for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. I think that's part of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. Now, those, those, that's not the forgiveness you get when you first come to Christ and you're justified. That's before a judge. Our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts. Forgive me of my sins that I committed as one of your children. And when, you, when that sin has gone out in the public arena, you don't ask people to forgive. You say, you know, I, if you say to your wife, Dear, you need to forgive me. I had a lustful thought about so-and-so. And you say that several times a day. You're going to be in marriage counseling big time. That's not what that means. But when sin works itself out in the public sphere, your mouth lets it out your hands, your feet, let it out. You've got to ask forgiveness of those who are offended. And if you don't, I would wonder if you know what grace is all about. And folks, it doesn't get easier when you get older. The older you get in the Christian life, the more sophisticated you can get in defending your sins. Asking forgiveness is the way this all begins. And I would add probably with more tears than we we'll want to shed. Usually the tears precede the asking for forgiveness. But when I have heard, as I have, not thankfully a lot, but just to hear it uttered once is enough, a church officer? saying, I'll never ask for forgiveness for that. That's scary. All right. Self-giving love begins with asking for forgiveness. Number two, listening to others. Let every person be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And that's not just the Christians. Listening to what has made that person's life so broken, so shattered. And that in itself, folks, is self-giving love. Because it's very unpleasant to listen when someone vomits out all the things that have wrecked his or her life. Self-giving love is you do it. And if you're dealing with a person who practices whatever form of perversity, you still listen and try to find out what has worked in that person so that he or she is so self-destructive. But if you're going to give yourself for the good of others, you have to listen. Number three, you ask yourself a question. Okay, so you ask for forgiveness where you must and you listen to people. Number three is as you're wrestling with things, am I dealing with doctrine, truth, or am I dealing with my preference? And boy, this one, this one really goes at you. Christians who break ties with one another over modes of schooling, they have their children, in a public school. We need to be separate from that. And it's something I'm not a fan of public schools. But I also realize there are reasons why people make use of public education. Christians who divide from one another over their views of the end times What is the millennium, that golden age of peace about which Christians fight? Is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever it would be? And if you don't hold, and believe me, folks, there are churches, if you don't hold their view of the millennial reign of Christ, you can't be a member of that church. And brothers and sisters, those issues are not as easy to resolve as you think. All right, There are certain things that are given. Christ will bodily return at the last day. Whether there's going to be a thousand-year reign on the earth after that or not, and what it will be like before he returns, those are things over which there are legitimate differences, but you don't break ties over them. So those are just a couple, and there's so many other examples. But ask yourself, is it my preference, or is this what the Word of God really teaches? They drink wine with their meals. Well, you don't drink wine with your meals. That's your conviction. You have your reasons for it. But don't break over someone who does. Okay, so you, you got the idea. But you see how all of these things have feelers and create this I-fight-Christians-anywhere mentality. All right. So is it, and is it my doctrine, is it what the Word of God says, or is it preference? And finally, in every situation, observable, self-giving, gracious, meek, Love. Meek is not a Casper milk toast. Meek is self controlled under pressure. Someone comes to you and says, I cannot stand your Christian faith. I can't stand your Savior. I hate to hear that. I have a Savior who was crucified, and he was obedient unto death. And quite frankly, folks, you take a lot of guff in the Christian life. Meekness is self-control under pressure. In every situation, observable, self-giving, gracious, meek love. That's what the world sees. I say this now as someone, you know, I love doctrine. I love sound doctrine. Truth, right? By and large, the world doesn't give a flip what we believe. They don't, they don't orthodox Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church USA, whatever the Presbyterian Church is down the street, the Baptists, we hold this, that, the other. they don't care. They don't care whether baptism by immersion or by sprinkling or whether you believe in predestination. They don't care. That, that's the real world, folks. We care. The world doesn't. The Christians show love to one another. You wait till a preacher falls. And notice how the world picks up on that fast. And when Christians bite and devour one another, the world sees that. That's why, again, notice what Jesus says, the final apologetic. By this shall all people know, verse 35... That you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's what the world sees. And if they see a bunch of I fight Christians anywhere type, they laugh when you say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Dr. Schaeffer uses this illustration, and I, I, I use it not because we have some brethren folks from our background, but because it's such a powerful, powerful illustration. Germany, during World War II. Adolf Hitler says, basically, you've got to be part of this one national church, or you're in big trouble. The Brethren group that was in Germany at the time has, as other denominations did, I wish they had the same outcome as the Brethren did, but the situation was similar for many. Not a few of the Brethren leaders capitulated. And they became part of that national church, which incidentally wanted to replace the Bible with Mein Kampf, but that wasn't the case at the time. And they hurt for that. Their doctrinal orthodoxy was tarnished by that because even though we don't want to be excessive in separation, we are to be holy, and quite frankly, You sit in a garbage can too long, you're going to stink. Another group, and I believe they were basically about equal with this. Another group says, no, we're not going to do this. This is wrong. Christ is Lord. He's king and head of the church. We don't do this. Not a few of them lost their lives in concentration camps. Others lost a spouse, or a parent, or even in some cases a child. Two camps, the brethren, Bible-believing Christians who had to wrestle with that decision. The war is done, and... You have the ones that were part of the national church that then collapsed with Hitler's regime. And the others who are still grieving over the loss of loved ones to a madman. And however this came about, there was an agreement that the brethren would gather, all of them, under their leaders. And as many as could gather, gathered at a place in Germany after the war and they committed themselves for the first few days, they would do one thing. They would examine their own hearts, not first deal with their brothers and sisters. In some cases, when they met, they hated their brothers and sisters because they capitulated to the regime that killed my loved one. And those emotions were high. For about three days, there was a time of heart searching. I'm sure there were times of prayer, and my guess is there was some meeting together informally of individuals who said, I need to ask you to forgive me. I have harbored a tremendous hatred in my heart for what you did. Three days of that kind of heart searching on individual levels, communication, and asking for forgiveness. Three days later, they gather together. And one of their leaders begins by saying this. We're brothers and sisters. We're one. And now we function together again. And they did. Those around them had the right to believe that the Father sent the Son into the world. Amen. You get it, folks? If there's anything, anything that is to mark the life of the haven and your life individually, twin mountain peaks, holiness and love. Valley of Vision. We talk about a volume that makes you probe your own heart. Christ likeness in this Puritan collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. My note at the top read very, very often. And if I had to read this for myself, it's also for you. Christ likeness. Father of Jesus, dawn returns, but without your light within. No outward light can profit. Give me the saving lamp of your spirit that I may see you, the God of my salvation, the delight of my soul rejoicing over me in love. See, there's abiding, abiding in God. I commend my heart to your watchful care for I know something of its treachery and power. Guard its every portal from the wily enemy Give me quick discernment of his deadly arts. Help me to recognize his bold disguise as an angel of light. That's truth, folks, and holiness. And bid him be gone. Here's love. May my words and works allure others to the highest walks of faith and love. Cause me to be a mirror of your grace and glory, to show others the joy of your service. May my lips be well-tuned symbols sounding your praise. Let a halo of heavenly-mindedness sparkle around me, and a lamp of kindness sunbeam my path. That's love. Teach me the happy art of attending to things temporal, things of this life, with a mind intent on things eternal. That's truth. Send me forth to have compassion on the ignorant and miserable. Help me, help me to walk as Jesus walked, my only Savior and perfect model. His mind, my inward guest. His meekness, my covering garb. Let my happy place be among the poor in spirit. My delight the gentle ranks of the meek. Let me always esteem others better than myself and find in true humility an heirdom to two worlds. The mark of the Christian, holiness and love. Let's pray. Our Lord, we not only wish we had kneeling benches, we wish we had enough space in this room that we could prostrate ourselves on the floor when we realize how easily we will compromise truth, how easily we will not walk in the way of your commandments, and how easily we give into anything but love for others. Our Lord, if there's anything that makes us say, O wretched man, O wretched woman, O wretched child that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's this. Lord Jesus, you could not have been clearer when you said, By this will all people know that you are my disciples, not by your doctrine, although for holiness sake we hold the truth, but by your love for one another, observable love to others. God, fill us with that, we pray. We ask that we would not for a moment violate or even compromise what your word clearly teaches. That's holiness. But Lord, we pray that as we work through, as we will all of our lives, that delicate balance between holiness and love. Would you not permit us, even for a moment, that would give in to that conduct with our brothers and sisters in Christ, genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you not let us give in, even for a moment, to that conduct that will enable the world to look at us and that And because of what they see, deny the gospel. God, grant the Holy Spirit to us to that glorious and good end. We pray in the name of the Word made flesh, the Lord Jesus, together with the Father and the Spirit, asking, O triune God, that you would manifest yourself to us Make your home in us so that our hearts would represent holiness and love always. For Jesus' sake, amen.